0: Peter House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that
1: serve and inspire our city. Thanks. You made me tear up. I do not know I was your favorite speaker. So, uh, hi guys, I'm Josh. That was my beautiful wife, Alicia. Um, we are the youth pastors here at cedar house and we also have inner healing ministry we have uh, some stuff that we've developed with stacy and then we also have the traditional sozo that uh, everybody's been trained in from bethel Um, so we can go both routes we can go straight bethel sozo or we can do cedar house inner healing and both are great so if you at the end of this message i'm hoping like everybody wants to sign up for a sozo because uh, of what we're going to talk about. So, But if you are interested in that, uh, please see this beautiful brunette over here um, and let her know, and she will get you signed up and on the schedule. Um, we've been just having such a impactful month. Uh, we had Kwame come in. How many of you guys are here for Kwame and his fire-filled, passionate message on intercession and the just the value that pursuing God brings to us. And then Don Griffin, who was here for Don? Don is such an amazing guy, so unique. Uh, And he brought a message that really unpacked who God is as a father. Um, It was so beautiful. It was so eloquent. I can't believe I have to speak the week after Don. I feel like there's no... I mean, I watched it again this morning, and I was just, like, crying for part of it. He just did such a good job unpacking, like, who God was. Um, and then next week, we're actually going to explore some of that. We're going to have worship. Next week is, like, the potluck dinner, but we're going to have some intentional time during worship to explore who is God to us in the season that we're in right now. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. And this week is really our... our. Um, last week on talking about who God is. And then uh, two weeks from now, so after the potluck, we'll be exploring who we are through God's eyes. Um, So that's that's kind of important foundations of Christianity. We have to understand who God is, who we are in God's eyes, how God sees the others around us, and then we have to be empowered to connect the others around us to God, to who God is, and to who we are. So that's like... Being connected to God, connected to ourselves and growing, and then empowering others to connect to God. If we're not doing those three things, then we feel empty. Um, so you can actually do a mental check right now. Uh, are we? Con- are you connecting to God? Are you connecting to yourself and growing in God? And have you been empowered? And do you have a place in your life where you're able to connect others to God? Because those are, those are three things that, as a Christian, if you don't have those three things, you... You will feel uh, you'll feel empty. Um, it's just the way it works. So again, this is going to be kind of our our last week of of exploring who God is through teaching, and we're going to dive in. I'm just going to dive straight in. We're going to go to First Peter chapter two, verse three. It says, "Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good," that's what we've been talking about. God is good. He's a good loving Father who has good things for us. And so Peter says, Now that you've tasted the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. A chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. How many of you guys remember when Hillsong United came out with that song "Cornerstone"? It was like every church every week for like two years. Um, I was listening to it this morning. It's such a good song talking about Jesus being the foundation and Jesus being the cornerstone. Um, And he actually, Jesus himself actually went into this when he told the parable of the house that was built on the sand. And I know that we've got some younger folks in here, so I'm going to go ahead. Every Bible story that I mentioned today, um, I'm going to just tell it. I'll tell an abbreviated version. But the parable of the house that was built on the sand, which Jesus told was, there was a man who built a house on the sand. And when the wind blew and the waves came crashing in, the house on the sand fell down. There's a man who built a house on the rock. And when the wind blew and the waves came crashing in, the house that was on the rock stood firm. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is our strong foundation. Jesus is is our cornerstone. The relationship that we have to have with God and the life that we live through our relationship with God has to be the foundation and has to be the cornerstone. And it sounds really simple. I used to think it was really simple because we're in Louisiana, so pretty much everybody here grew up in a house that was built on a concrete slab. And so I was under the illusion or impression as a a young guy You know, they just go out there and they pour the concrete out there and then they build the house on top. And there's not a whole lot to it. Um, And I was really—I learned that I was really wrong. Uh, I learned that because I got to participate uh, in my senior year in high school and and building. It was a 10,000 square foot uh, church building, and we built it from the ground up. The only thing we didn't do was erect the steel. And the foundation was the first thing, obviously, that, that we had to tackle. And I thought it was a simple thing. You know, I was, I don't know, I don't even remember how old I was. But uh, I was just like, cool, so we're just going to go pour concrete. And I learned real fast. Like, there is so much that goes into a solid foundation. And it's, it's not even about the concrete. It's it actually what is under the concrete can affect the concrete. Um. Do you guys know what a subgrade failure is? You ever heard of a subgrade failure? Uh, Dave has probably heard of a subgrade failure, I'd imagine. Dave did project management for a dirt and base company. I didn't even know what a subgrade failure was. Let me tell you about a subgrade failure. So when you pour concrete, the ground underneath the concrete has to be firm. It has to be solid. If the ground that's under the concrete isn't solid, the, uh, the slab can crack. It can sink. It can get so bad that the whole building falls over, Um, and we have all kind of stuff that's going on in the earth underneath us where we're walking, and so sometimes what'll happen is, and a lot of times what I found out in Louisiana, I learned through experience, they'll have cypress trees that were cut down years ago, and then dirt kind of built up over the stump, and so they'll go in, and they'll kind of scrape up the dirt, and then they're going to replace that bad dirt, that, you know, soft dirt with hard clay. But if there's a cypress tree that's down there, the cypress tree keeps sucking water up. And even if you run over it with a bunch of heavy equipment and a bunch of dump trucks, what happens is this thing that's rooted in the the earth below the foundation that was never supposed to be there pulls material that's not supposed to be there into the earth, and it turns into jello. Even the clay that gets brought in, like clay packs in really hard. I have a video on my phone. I should have probably sent it to to Melanie of a guy. He walks out, and he walks out on this hard clay. And you can see, like as he's walking, his feet aren't sinking at all. It's almost like he's walking on the concrete already. And he gets to this one part, and he stops. And he takes his foot, and he puts his toe down on the clay, and he kind of jiggles his foot, and the whole thing starts wiggling like jello. Um, he took a stick and he stuck it in there and just started going straight down. And the only way you can deal with a subgrade failure is you have to remove all of the spoil from underneath the place where you're going to build the foundation until you hit solid ground. Then you have to replace all of the spoil that you pull out. It's literally called spoil um, with suitable earth. Sometimes they'll pack in like rock. Sometimes they'll just bring in more clay. Sometimes they'll put in material that just packs down really hard. But you, if you don't get all of it out, then no matter what you put on top of it, it turns into jello. Uh, so before you ever pour concrete, you have to get the stuff that's in there that's going to interfere with your foundation. You've gotta, It's got to come out. Then after all that's done, They dig what are called footings so the concrete doesn't move. Uh, And then they actually lay something called a moisture barrier inside of that space so that the water doesn't come through the good soil and get into the concrete. And then they build a form so that the concrete's higher than the ground that's all around it. And then they come in and they pour the concrete on top of that. And anything that happens underneath that foundation, the whole foundation itself starts to crack. If there's anything that comes in and you don't have the moisture barrier, we found this out in the flood of 2016. And I'm going to tile this in, I promise. Uh, the flood of 2016, we had a bunch of water. It came in, and it came on top of houses, five or six feet of water in some houses, and it surrounded the houses. And when it did that, the water, if you had a room in your house— that didn't, maybe it was used to be a garage and there was no moisture barrier under the concrete, the water actually came up through the concrete and it would, it would cause even more damage. Um, it caused cracking or sometimes when the water came on top of the foundation, because the foundation wasn't high enough, it would actually seep down into the concrete and you'd have water trapped in the concrete and it wouldn't be able to get out through the floor and it wouldn't be able to go back in through the uh, moisture barrier. It was just sitting there for months and months and months And the house wouldn't dry out. And uh, I say all that to say, if you build your life on Jesus, if you build your life on a strong foundation, that foundation will support everything that's above it. But if you don't allow the foundation, if you don't allow the rock to support everything, if you still have stuff that you've got tucked underneath, stuff that you've got buried in your subgrade that's deeply rooted inside of you and you build the foundation on top of it and you never remove it, you, you end up with a recurring problem. You end up with things that just keep seeping up to the top of the foundation. You end up with these cracks all in your foundation. It's not because there's something wrong with the concrete. It's not the fault of the person who delivered the concrete, formed the concrete, poured the concrete. The problem is underneath the concrete. The problem is underneath the foundation. And God is is really gracious. And really merciful. Because in in the physical world, when that happens, we have to bust up all of the concrete and start all over again. But in the spiritual world, when there are things that are deeply rooted on the inside of us, that are affecting our foundation, that are seeping up into the areas of our life that should be healthy, that are causing cracks in our relationship between us and God, God has given us tools that allow us to pull that up by the root and replace it with firm ground. God has called us, what's the last, the last part of that scripture says? Uh, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Um, actually, let's go on to the next one. Let's go to verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light or into his marvelous light. And what happens a lot of times is uh, instead of seeing life through our experience with God, we see God through our experience with life. If we filter our experience with life through an accurate depiction of who God is through the God that Don Griffin preached on last week. If, we, if we're filtering our perspective of what's going on with life through that good and loving father, then we're walking in his light. But if we take the father and we filter the father through our experience with life, then we have an inaccurate picture of our father. And we also have an inaccurate picture of our life. The only way we can have an accurate picture of our life is if we're looking at our life through the eyes of our Father. God has given us eyes. He's given us lenses. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. He's given us. He's given us the ability to see. The ability to see the world around us the way that He sees it. We can only tap into that ability if we understand who He is. If we, if we, (laughs) the biggest problem I think that that we, those of us who grew up in church have, um, is we we kind of start to look at God because we've had all this spiritual education all this this theological foundation we we take and we we kind of look at god like he is just a more powerful more knowledgeable version of us who kind of thinks the way that we think and we think that if something offends us it offends god and we think that it, if something doesn't feel right to us it doesn't feel right to god and it's it, it's backwards it's completely backwards We've got to realize that we serve an omniscient, omnipresent God. He's unfathomable. We can't put him inside of a, of a doctrinal box. We can't put him inside of a wall of, of, of scripture. We just have to let God be who he is. And we have to be able to actively connect to who God is for us in the season that we're walking in so that we can see the world through the eyes of our Father. We can't see the world through the eyes of our Sunday school teacher from 1991. Or maybe some of you guys that are in here it was 1921. I don't know. Thank God we've got spiritual mothers and fathers. Some of y'all it was 2001 or 2021, okay? But but that that foundation that can't be the lens that we have of God and that can't be the lens that we have of the world around us. That's the the, the thing that, that can really wreck a family or wreck a, a ministry whenever your perspective of God is seen through your spiritual leader or through the spiritual leader of your childhood, and you don't have a reference for who he is for yourself through relational connection with him. I can remember um, as a youth pastor, you have like different uh, – I don't want to call them generations, but I guess we'll call them generations of uh, of kids that come through your youth group. They go in like two to four year cycles. so every two to four years, the culture of the youth group completely changes. And I remember at one point in time we had like an even mix of these kids who were really passionate and doing really, really dumb things. Um, and then we had a mix of church kids who kind of had it all together and i was this i was this was a long time ago. I was really young, and I was really worried about these crazy kids who were doing all of the things that uh, you would teach kids not to do as a youth pastor if you were uh, into the uh, performance message, right? Uh, y'all know because y'all probably all had that experience. If you were if you were a young person, there was all kinds of things that you didn't do. And then here's scriptures, here's God, and we, we raise our hands and clap and sing, right? Um, and so they were the opposite of that. They were doing all the things. I was like, don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that. And I was preaching passionately, and, and that they weren't really listening at all. Um, and I got to do a wedding a couple years ago, and uh, I showed up, and there were the same group, because it was a couple who met in that group. And so the half of the ch- kids who had been church kids, who were just had it all together, Um, They they weren't doing so hot. I mean, there were a few of them that were, but as a group, it was like, man, like, I I thought these kids were going places. But you know the passionate, crazy kids who were doing all the wrong things, but they were passionately pursuing God and learning to hear from Him themselves? As a group, like, they were business owners. They were all, except for maybe two, still like, passionately in love with God. There are a bunch of the other crowd that were like atheists or agnostic or into new age stuff. The crazy group was madly in love with God still. They're all in church. Some of them were doing ministry themselves. And I was like standing there kind of, because we, we talked for hours and hours. Like, I was just supposed to do the wedding, but it was my people. So, you know, I mean, we, we all had to catch up. And I was just kind of like standing there waiting for the bride to walk down, looking at the, the two groups. And I was like, man, like, what is the deal? And I realized, like, you have a group, they may have been crazy, but they learned who God was. And because they learned who God was, and they had a personal connection to him, they exploded in their growth, and they exploded in their life, and all of the behavioral modification that I was teaching was completely irrelevant to them. They still don't care about it, okay? But they're living lives that are honoring to God now because they learned who he was for themselves. But the other crowd, they were connected to God through me. They related to God through me. When I wasn't in the picture anymore, most of them, they did what most church kids do. They went to college, they found out there were lots of theories and lots of philosophies and lots of religion and lots of people who had lots of really good logic and reasoning and really great speakers and really great motivations. And so they followed, they had followed my logic for four or five years. Then they found other logic they, thought they liked better and they started following it. They followed my wall of scriptures for a few years and then they found out, hey, guess what, the Wiccans have all kind of stuff. They got a book too. They found out, hey, guess what, Buddhism is like, man, they're like, Wade, you know, they're out there. They, they have some really creative, cool, freeing things about their broken theology, right? So they, they went other places because it sounded good and it felt good, um, and I wasn't there anymore. When you learn to tap into who God is for yourself instead of relying on the wall of Scripture that you were brought up with, when you learn, and I'm not saying Scripture's bad. We need Scripture. We need the Bible. I read the Bible every day. I read a scripture in the Bible this morning, and it it completely broke me, and I I was crying, and I was an absolute hot mess. So we need the Bible, but we need to have a relationship with God that isn't just found inside of a book. I have a relationship with Alicia. We've been together for 15 years. We've been married for 12. I've known her. We were friends since she was five. I have a deep well of knowledge about, about Alicia. I can write a book. I can tell you how to make her coffee. I can tell you her favorite restaurants, her favorite food. I can tell you things that even if they seem like they would be a really good idea to ask or say, that you should never say. I can tell you things that seem like they would be really silly, but that if I say them to her, even to this day, she will tear up and start to cry. I have a deep well, a deep well of knowledge about my wife. And I, if I were to write a book, it would be a it would be a big book. It'd be probably three, four hundred pages at least. And I could give you that book. And you could read that book and study that book. And guess what? Every word of that book would be true. But you would still not know Alicia. You would know a lot of things about Alicia. But you wouldn't know Alicia. God doesn't want you to know a lot of things about Him. God wants you to know Him. God doesn't want you to know a lot of Bible stories. God wants you to experience life through Him. Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. we read that again. We did not follow cleverly devised stories, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For years and years and years, we have followed cleverly devised stories about God. Cleverly devised stories don't replace a relationship with God. What God wants is for us to be eyewitnesses of his majesty, to walk in his marvelous light, to run with him in his marvelous light, to experience the Garden of Eden with him together. God is looking for people to celebrate with. He's looking for people to be majestic with. And he's not just looking for people to be majestic with. He's looking for people who will be majestic with him. If your theology is broken, then you feel like God is majestic and I am a horrible piece of garbage. Okay, that's, that's, that's how it is. God is wonderful, I am terrible. But the true purpose of a relationship with God is so that we can learn to walk with him in majesty, so that we can become as majestic as he is. Because the more like him we become, the closer heaven gets to earth. I don't want to be a Christian because I prayed a good prayer and I did good things and I I got to go to heaven when I died. I want to be a Christian because I'm walking in majesty with God and I'm living out heaven where I am right now. But I can only live out heaven where I am right now if I understand God for who he is and I understand myself for who he's calling me to be. Because who he says I am is completely different from this perspective, this twisted perspective that I have of myself. How many of you guys know the story of Gideon? <clears throat> Gideon lived in a nation that was completely, totally oppressed. He lived in a country that was so oppressed that people would come and they would take all of, they just would show up and take all of their food. No one was even fighting back anymore. His life had been so horrible that he couldn't expect to open the refrigerator and pull food out of it. There's probably very few people in this room who've ever experienced the level of horror that not even being able to count on your next meal, or the level of horror that someone can just walk in and take something from you or do something to you. There's some people here who've experienced it, but most of us, we never experienced that. That was Gideon's entire life. And he's actually in where the story of Gideon begins. He's inside of a wine press um, and he's threshing his grain inside of a wine press because the wine press had a cavity in it, and he could hide in there, and he could thresh his grain. And he's hiding from the people who want to go and and take things from him. And an angel appears in front of Gideon. And here's something else you need to know about Gideon. Gideon, um, and this is in the story, he was the smallest man from the smallest family, from the smallest clan from the half-tribe of Manasseh, who was hiding in this grain press. He tells the angel that. He tells the angel, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in all Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon is a textbook, cowardly, radically afraid, traumatized, no one. Do you know what the angel, does anybody know what the angel says when the angel comes and stands in front of Gideon as he's hiding in the wine press trying to make lunch? The angel looks at Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The smallest man from the smallest family, from the smallest clan, from a half tribe hiding to make a sandwich is told, hey, you're a mighty warrior and God's with you. There's some people here and that's where you're at in your life. There's there's someone here who's been oppressed There's someone here who has the idea that they are no one. There's someone here who feels like they don't add value to their family. There's someone here who feels like they don't add value to their community. And God is looking at them, and he's saying, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Come and be an eyewitness of majesty with me. Gideon had never seen God move. And Gideon doubted God would. Probably three-quarters of the story of Gideon is Gideon arguing with God and doing all kind of weird things to try and convince himself that God is telling him the truth and he really is a mighty warrior. Like He's like, "Uh, I don't think so, dude. You got the wrong guy. Guess what? God is telling you, no matter what your perspective is of yourself right now, even if you've never experienced his majesty, even if you've never walked in his marvelous light, right now I am with you and you have value and you are an overcomer in your situation right now and I want to show up for you and shift your life. How about the story of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? Y'all know that story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also like Gideon, oppressed. They were actually enslaved. Those guys, probably, as far as we know, definitely in the Bible, have never seen God move before. All they've ever known their entire life is oppression. All they've ever known for most of their life is abject slavery. And what happens? They have idolatry that comes into their life. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are looking at a giant statue of the king and being told, hey, bow before this idol in your life or die. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had never experienced the power of their god in their life before are standing in the throne room of the king and they're looking at the king and they're telling him as they're throwing wood into a furnace to burn them alive they're telling the king i will not bow because god is going to save me from the fire and they follow it up by saying and if even if he doesn't even if he doesn't i'm still going to serve the lord How different is that perspective? And and notice, God didn't pull Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the room. They didn't levitate or transport. They went in the fire. But God went in the fire with them. They went through the fire, and the Bible says not a single hair on their eyelashes burned up. And there was a fourth man that was walking around in the fire with them. And all of the servants of the king and the king were looking into the furnace and seeing unburned men walking with the Son of God. And the entire throne room began worshiping Jesus, and it it became illegal for them to bow before any god in the entire nation because there were three people who said even if God doesn't show up I still know who he is and they walked with him through fire they walked through him in the fire and they came through without a singed eyelash they came through without having to without doubting God because he showed up In a real and obvious way. God will walk through the fire with you. He will experience everything. He does experience every single thing that you're experiencing in your life right now. And everything that breaks your heart breaks his. Every tear that you cry, he cries. Everything that you've ever experienced, he experienced with you, and what broke you broke him even more. It's so easy to lose sight of the things that God does for us. It's so easy to lose perspective of of where we are in life when we're going through the fire. It's so easy for us, even if we've been experienced in our faith, Even if we've seen God move, when something shifts, it's so easy for us to lose that even if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fire and confidence. Look at Elijah. Elijah calls down fire from heaven on an altar that was soaked in water with a trench of water all the way around it. Every person who stood against Elijah on the mountain that day, were were taken out. And a revival happened in in the middle of the country where he was in. He was literally a revivalist who called down actual fire from God. And right after that, the queen of the country gets really upset and sends people in to, to take out Elijah. And Elijah doesn't say, even if, whatever, whatever, I'm not gonna bow. Elijah runs for the hills, he runs for the hills, and we find Elijah in a cave, hiding in a cave, and he's telling God, I'm the only one left who serves you. I am alone. I am forgotten. Everything that you did for me in the past is meaningless, and I am just here. I've been there. I've been in Elijah Probably 11, 12 years ago, I was driving to work, had an old Chevy Suburban run through a red light and T-boned me at 55 miles per hour, pushed me across a turn lane, two lanes of traffic, a second turn lane, a third turn lane, two more lanes of traffic, another turn lane, and into a pole before I stopped. I don't even know that I would be here if I didn't have armor underneath my Jeep because it stopped the, the crumple at the passenger seat. <laughs> that was ironic. Th- three years later, my back was such a wreck that I couldn't put my own shoes on. I was strung out on pain meds, but they did nothing for me. And and I would wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night thinking, well, you know, I know God could heal me, but I guess he just doesn't want to. I would just lay there, and I'd take my pills, and Alicia would help me put my shoes on if I could get out of bed and go do something. And my career was over, my life dreams were over. I could I could preach, but it wasn't even that good because I was high the whole time. Um, I got in trouble because I was saying stuff that I shouldn't have said because I had so many pain meds pumped into my body. I started having memory loss. I lost, like, gaps of time. It was horrible. And I'm like, yeah, God, I you know, I know you're supposed to be loving, but I don't see the evidence of it. And one day, one day, that building I was telling you guys about at the beginning, um, all of the men from that building went on a retreat together. All the ladies were there doing an outreach, and something happened, and water came pouring out of the front door of that church building. And the only guy who was left around who knew how to shut the water off was me. And my dad called, and he was like, hey, man. The water main is buried under three feet of mud. No one knows where it is. I know you can't do anything about it, but can you at least go out there and show those ladies where it's at so they can try to dig it out and shut the water off because there's a waterfall. There's a two-inch water main pouring out of the front door of the church. And something shifted in me, and I said, Okay, God, I know these ladies can't dig out this water main. I've had to do it before, and it was hard for me. So I'm going to go... And I'm going to do what I have to do, and I'm going to trust you to do your part. And I showed up at the church, and I dug out the water main on my hands and knees with my bare hands, and I, I grabbed the, the thing with the, uh, with the water guy, and it was rusted closed. And we every single thing that they tell you not to do with your back, we were doing for an hour. I ended up having to run to the hardware store because the Lexus that I was driving wouldn't start. So I ran to the hardware store and then ran back to get some tools. Fix the water main, and I went to see the same doctor that I had been seeing for those three years. And he was a Christian and he's a great guy. He's a he's a sports medicine doctor. He also was a chiropractor, so he could do adjustments. He also is a physical therapist. And every day it would start off the same way. He would kind of put his hand on my back, he would rub my muscles to try to loosen them up, and then he would try to adjust adjust it, and it wouldn't work. My back was permanently arced like this. And for three years he had been pushing on my back and nothing had happened. And he lay his hands on on my back and a sound like firecrackers filled the room and my spine went right back into alignment and he, even as a Christian, was floored. He said, what did you do yesterday? And I said, man, I I trusted God. He said, well, whatever you did, I, were you running? I was like, yeah, I was running. Were you exercising? Yeah, I was exercising. He's like, everything that you did, don't dig the water main up again, but go do everything that you did every day. And for six months, I ran out my healing. I can do all, I mean, I am a normal function, I went from not being able to put my shoes on to being a normal functioning human being because I was able to shift by the grace of God from an Elijah perspective to a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego perspective and say, you know what, God, even if you don't show up, I'm still going to trust you to do what you have to do, and I'm just going to walk through what I've been walking through, but I believe you're going to show up. Man, like we can, just the simplest shift that we have in our understanding of who God is can radically alter the course of our life and everything that's happening in it. The simplest realignment, when we have a misunderstanding of who God is, the, the simplest realignment that, that, that happens can actually, it can even affect our physical bodies. Do you remember, Alicia, when we were in that life group and there was the girl there that had the heart problems? And we're praying for this girl, and we've been seeing miracles happen in our home group. And we're praying for this girl, and we're praying for this girl, and we're praying for this girl, and nothing's happening. And and the Holy Spirit said, I don't even remember who it was, but that she had unforgiveness in her heart. Now the doctors didn't know what was wrong with her heart; they couldn't even tell. She was having all kind of stuff done. It would just hurt, like physically, it would hurt. The it would. It, she had like a murmur. It would it was doing all kind of crazy stuff, and um, so so. Whoever it was said, now I feel like maybe there's unforgiveness in your heart. She starts crying. So we walk her through forgiveness and a little bit of finding Jesus, Sozo stuff, and her heart immediately stops hurting. Guess what? To this day, her heart still doesn't have any problems. She, re- she forgave someone and realigned her perspective of God, and it realigned her physical heart. God wants you to to experience majesty with him in every area of your life, no matter what you're going through. He wants to go through it with you, and he wants to pull the majesty out of your situation, and he wants to pull the majesty out of you. And the more time that we spend with the real father, and not the father that lives in our heads, but the actual good and loving father, the more like him we become, and the more like him we become, the more majesty we get to walk in. I want to be like David. I want to be like David. David was someone who saw God do amazing things. One of the first interactions we have in the Bible with David's thought process is David and Goliath. And he tells the king, he says, hey, God helped me kill the lion. God helped me kill the bear. God's going to help me kill the giant. That's his perspective. David's perspective was, I've seen what God's going to do, and I know that he'll do it again, but even if he doesn't, and where does the even if comes from? The even if comes from the book of Psalms. All you got to do is read the book of Psalms to know whether we're supposed to be emotionally well-rounded people. David, man, you want to talk about questioning God? You want to talk about being angry, being upset, being depressed, experiencing worry, experiencing anxiety, experiencing joy, experiencing victory. It's all in the book of Psalms. Sometimes one verse right after the other. Sometimes it's depression, anger, joy, depression, joy. God is real, but are you really? Man, David lived a life where he just, he got to talk to God like that. He broke all the rules, y'all. If you have an understanding of what life with God was like in the Old Testament, David is a complete and total anomaly. You're talking about you have all of these rules. You can only talk to God on certain days. You can only talk to God through the high priest. He has to do all of the right things. He's got bells on the hem of his garment and a rope tied around his uh, ankle because he has to go into the Holy of Holies after sanctifying himself perfectly to talk to God the few times a year he was allowed to, and if he did anything wrong, his physical body could not remain in the presence of God, and he would fall over and die, and they had to haul him out by the rope because if they went in there, the same thing might happen to them. David, multiple times, if you, if you study the life of David, walks in and starts talking to God through the ephod, and God is answering him back. Why? Why can David walk into a room with God in the middle of the Old Testament before Jesus died on the cross, having no knowledge about who Jesus was? Why can David walk in that room and begin talking to God and hearing directly back from God? It's because of the book of Psalms. He had such a rich relationship with God. He walked every day in the majesty of God. He experienced every emotion with God, and God was talking to him the entire time. David built a culture of worshipers that the world has never seen again. There was a gigantic multi-thousand piece orchestra and choir that sang 24 hours a day, seven days a week during the reign of David. They worshiped God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The band came in in shifts, and that's all the, they had people, they were Levites that were skilled musicians, and their entire life was dedicated to worshiping God under the movement that David created. And because David had that relationship with God, he could walk into the presence of God in the Old Testament and speak to God through the ephod and hear the voice of God. And it's not because David's life was perfect. It's not because nothing bad happened to David. David went through some of the most. De- it's not because David never made a mistake. He made some of the biggest mistakes you can make. He went through the most depressing things that that you can you can experience. He went through a miscarriage. He went through uh, the 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 sabotage and murder of one of his best friends that he himself orchestrated. He was a. Abused, He had spears thrown at him. He had to, multiple times across his life, he literally had to run and hide and live in a cave. But he worshiped God through all of it. He, through all of it, said, even if I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Even if I'm walking through the fire right now, I'm looking at the fire through the lens of my father. And because I can see the fire through the lens of my father, I am not afraid. And guess what? Jesus tore the veil so that we can have the same relationship with him. That David had with God. He tore through every physical barrier. The only thing that keeps us from connecting to God the way David did. We don't have to have a multi thousand piece orchestra and choir singing over us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Although if you have a subscription to Bethel TV, that's an option. Um, (laughs) You don't need it because the veil was torn and the presence of God lives with us and walks everywhere with us and we have direct access completely unfiltered and unseparated except for if there's an idea in our head about who we are or who he is that isn't right. And then we just need to get out of our own way. We just need the, those roots to be taken out and replaced with his fertile soil. He can do miracles. He can take the deepest roots out of your heart. Gabe, you can come up. He he can take the deepest roots out of your heart and replace them with soil that's more fertile than anything that was there before. He can take the deepest, most traumatic part of your story and turn it into the greatest victory. And he wants to. His desire is for you. His desire is to turn your mourning into dancing. That's in the Bible. My wife has a child inside of her. That was impossible for five years. We lost three babies. He turned our deepest sorrow into our greatest victory we went to the ultrasound for the first time and the ultrasound technician is trying to show us the baby and we can see like there's a baby in there and she's frustrated and she looks at me and Alicia and she's like, I'm trying to get a good picture, y'all, but the baby won't stop dancing. And I told her that's because the baby's dancing on injustice. God wants you to dance on injustice. He wants... He wants to heal that old withered part of yourself that Gabrielle was talking about. Those dead hands, he wants to make them young again and bring life out of them. There is victory in every situation. And if you if if you're Like any of these great heroes of the faith that I've talked about today, and you have doubts, and you have trauma, and you don't understand who you are in certain areas, or who God is in certain areas, or maybe in any area, if that's you, just uh, why don't you just raise your hand, say, "Hey, that's me," just so I can know. There's there's some some folks. Okay, one person is being honest. <laughs> Man, can we just take a minute and pursue God together? We're going to do this a lot next week. Next week, we're going to go in. We're going to go in deep. and We're going to invite the voice of God into the room. And we're going to let him speak to these things. But it, it, it needs to start now. It needs to start this morning. So God, I just invite you into this room right now. And and we just ask that every single person in this room that you would begin to to pull those roots to the surface. Pull those roots to the surface and, and begin to show them where you were in every single situation, in every single moment of trauma, in every single moment of anxiety, in every single moment where they felt alone, in every single moment where they felt abused and neglected. I just ask that you would bring your presence rushing in and that they would feel your arms wrapped around them and you loving them through the fire that they were in. That you would open their eyes and that they would see the fourth man in the furnace. That they would see Jesus. That they would feel the Holy Spirit. That they would understand the Father's love. And that the the parts of them that are looking at you through a twisted lens would just be ripped out. That you would take away our lenses of who who we think you are and replace those With the love of the Father. God says, I love you. And I have always loved you. And I will always continue to love you. And my love is with you everywhere all the time. My love never leaves you. And my love never forsakes you. No matter how far you run, you can never run away from my love. No matter how hard you strike at me, you can never force me to turn my back on you. I will take every angry accusation, I will take every angry blow, and I will still continue to love you. My love is stronger and more powerful than any situation that you've ever experienced, and there's nothing that you've ever experienced that's greater than my love's ability to cover it. And I care so deeply about you that even the most insignificant parts of your day that cause you worry and anxiety, I love you through those and I am wrapping my arms around you just as hard as when you're going through trauma because I am love and I am going to use love to heal every single part of you. God, we just thank you for your healing power for the love of Jesus that covers us all. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I'm sorry. I went Pentecostal youth pastor on you guys. Couldn't help it. Hopefully nobody leaves the church because I yelled into the mic. (laughs) Oh. Man, it was so good. I want to really encourage you guys next week. We're, we're going to pursue God's voice in your life and God's voice in your heart. It's just going to be worship and, and some, some questions and some prayers, the whole service. And then we're going to eat a meal together. So two things. One, uh, if you can cook, please bring something. If you can't cook, please go to the store, buy something and bring something next week um and then please come with an open heart because i feel like what god is going to do in our body next sunday is so needed and so powerful and so important for us to be able to have a connection to god as a body all right thanks gabe y'all give it up for gabe He's like 12 years old, and he already plays the piano like Mozart. All right, Um, so we have a uh, wonderful thing that's happening today. Our senior leader, Landon Snow, today is his birthday. So uh, he turns 25 today. Uh, And so we're going to take a minute, and uh, we're going to honor Landon Um, So Landon, do you mind coming and and standing up here? And then, if you are on the uh, board of elders for the church, uh, if you want to come up here and surround Landon. um, And then, if you're a leader, um, if you're a a leader in the church, uh, then we'd just come up here and surround Landon. And we're gonna just take about five minutes. I know it's it's uh, lunchtime, but the good news is we have birthday cake, so. Um, everybody that's hungry, that's okay. Um, We're going to feed you. But first, we're going to take a moment and honor this man who has labored so hard for us to be able to tap into the things that we're able to tap into. I would not have been able to share who God is without this guy speaking into my life uh, and in such a loving and powerful way. And so we're going to start things off um, with Miss Ann, and then we'll go for four or five minutes and let everybody that has a, a word uh, for Landon go ahead and give that word. And then we're going to close it out. Uh, one of the fathers of our house, Larry Brown, is going to pray over Landon and, uh, and bless his next year. So, uh, Miss Ann, you want to? We do want to hear what you have
0: to say. Okay. God, that's loud. Where do I put the, is that? Yes. Okay, put it on my chin, okay. Um, <laughs> Father, I just thank you for landing. And Father, I thank you that you have put authority on him, the authority that you have for him to lead. But with authority comes much. And Father, I ask that right now that you would flood him with your love your love for each person in your room and each person in the community that you have called him and us to minister to. Father, that um, you would give him a heart to love people, that they would he would see them through your eyes and love them the way that you call. And Father, I ask that you would break his heart into a bunch and bunch of pieces that he might experience that love, that compassion, and that humility before you. That you would flood him more and more with your love. And that he would be so overwhelmed by it that he will not be able to stand before you or others without that love. And Father, I ask that you would humble him before you that he might only see you, no one else, and that in times of worship, he might be broken before you as he humbles himself before you because he'll learn that only you matter, only you matter, but because only you matter, everyone matters, and that you're the only one that loves him so deeply. And I bless him to learn these lessons and to learn them well. That he might walk out these lessons so that the people you've called behind him might learn to walk them on also. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.